Scripture reading is John 15, 15 verses, is that right? John 15 verses 1 through 7. John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. I would have been completely fine if we started in John 3 and he read all the way through John 15. We have a certain element, I don't know if, is it coming through both right now? Does it sound like it's coming through both or is it just loud enough? We have a certain element missing today who are at Peach Valley uh, Camp uh, a number of adults and uh, kids and teens, and uh, it sounds like everything is going well so far. Uh, it's one of those camps, like almost every camp, there's almost no cell signal except for a certain little hill where you stand on one leg and balance, and you get a text every now and then. Last time, around this time, uh, there was a message sent to Andy, and he found out on Wednesday night after the announcement uh, that indeed uh, I uh, had uh, been hired on here at Graber Road. And then next week came and there was a lot of prepping and planning and then uh, uh, that which must not be named happened. And uh, so I ended up making an emergency trip down here uh, uh, to preach uh, uh, for what would become uh, our Graber family. And uh, we have been just so thrilled over the last year uh, to be here next month. Uh, will mark a year for me, and then, of course, uh, my wife joining in October. Beyond those events that took place over a year and beyond the immediate events of where a certain number of our people are this morning, we are so thankful for those who are here with us today. It is a wonderful thing to worship the Lord, and we are thrilled that you have decided that this is where you want to be to do so. And we want to encourage you and we want to build you up, but most importantly, we want to glorify God. What we have been doing over the last several months, uh, uh, once a month, we have been looking at those great I am statements of Jesus. Because when we ask the question, who is Jesus, it really is the most important question that we can ask. For if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then our lives should be all about him. 
The Gospel of John, in fact, seeks to answer the question of his identity. That's that purpose statement in John uh, uh, the, uh, 30, uh, 30 and 31, where you have John saying that he wants people to know that Jesus is the Christ, John 20. Uh, 30 and 31, and knowing that you would uh, that Jesus is the Christ, you would have life in His name. When you look at the things that Jesus de- did and the things that Jesus said, you can come to no other conclusion that He is the Christ, the Son of God. He would turn water into wine. He would feed thousands with a few loaves and a couple of fish. He would heal the sick. He would heal the broken, he would heal the blind, he would raise the dead. Jesus is master and commander over nature, over food, over sickness, and over death. Not only would Jesus prove himself by a variety of what he would do, his identity is wrapped up in what he teaches about himself. In fact, when you go through John, John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus is satisfying provision. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you really are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it is Jesus whom you can feast upon and you will never leave empty. Jesus is satisfying provision. Going on through the Gospel of John in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. He is that sanctified direction. There is so much darkness in this world. There is so much difficulty uh, uh, with, with all of the different ways people want to go. But what Jesus does is he clearly lights the way And the way in which we go in following him, we will always know that he has been there. And that he is going in the right direction. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the sanctified direction for our lives. In John chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus would say, I am the door of the sheep. It is a reality that there are dangers, but what Jesus does as the door to the sheep, he protects us. He makes sure that only those who are coming in are those who should come in. And he makes sure that those who are coming in are are cleaned and taken care of and have everything that they need. He is our secure entrance. Jesus is also our sacrificial protection because he would say in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. In John 10, he would say that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He will protect against any enemy that we could ever come up against. In fact, isn't that what uh, Psalm 23 would say? Where uh, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I will lack, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You can look at that text and then when it gets to those difficulties of life, he leads me beside still waters. But then he, even in the valley of the shadow of death, because he is there, we can fear no evil. The fact that the shepherd can prepare a table for us in the midst of enemies 
He protects. And he even lays down his life for the sheep. In John chapter 11, Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. In uh, a context in which a dear friend of his has died and Jesus wasn't around. And in fact, Jesus going to the place where his friend had died was a danger to his life because the Jews were already seeking to kill him. But he goes back to this friend and he asks the sisters of this man, do you believe that I, or do you believe in the resurrection? They say, yes, we believe that he'll be raised on the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is uh, the one in which we find supreme salvation. And John 14, 6 what we studied last time we were together, it feels like some time ago, but it really was last month. Jesus is the singular source of that salvation, of that protection. He is the only door. He is the only uh, direction in which we can have the right uh, uh, way. And he is the only one who provides all that we could need. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have been having, uh, in my opinion, a really fun study. But it's a study that's fun because it glorifies God and it helps us to understand who Jesus is. And in a world so full of darkness and in a world so of confusion about identity, isn't it wonderful that we can know that Jesus knew exactly who he was, who he is, and he lets us know exactly who he is and exactly what he wants. There is one final I am, those great I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And it was read for us this more, uh, just a moment ago, I am the true vine. Jesus is that sublime connection to God. I am the true vine. And what we're going to do this morning is look at three aspects of what this idea of I am the true vine really means. In fact, we'll start off simply by talking about location. Words are incredible uh, 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 things, especially when they're small and repetitive. They can have a whole lot of power. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, abide in me, and I in you. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Notice this repeated word, in, 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 again and again and again. You can keep going. As the Father, uh, verse uh, 9, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Keep on going. Look at verse 11. These things, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's all about location. Jesus speaks to the fact that every branch needs to be in him, but not only needs to be in him, but needs to be bearing fruit. We'll talk more about that idea in a moment. But how many times does he emphasize this idea of abiding in him? Where in verse verse 4, he says, abide in me. And in verse 4, he warns of not abiding in him. And in verse 5, he talks about the blessing of abiding in him. And in verse 6, he warns again of what happens if you're not abiding in him. And in verse 7, you have this idea of if he's abiding in you, there is another thing abiding in you, his word. And if he is abiding in you, and his word is abiding in you, there's yet another thing that's abiding in you, his love. And the blessing of him abiding in you and his word abiding in you and his love abiding in you is that his joy will also abide in us. It's all about location. When it comes to being in Jesus, location is the most important idea. Because without proper location... Again, just read this uh, to yourselves and think about what it would mean to be out, off, away from. Location is incredibly important. And just a couple of ideas before leaving this uh, location. No, nothing. Okay, before we go on to the next point, just a few ideas. Number one, abiding in Christ is a choice. You realize that plants don't really get that choice that we get? You know, a branch can't really say to the tree, tree, you know what, I'm tired of you, I'm going to break myself off and go somewhere else. But we do have a choice, and that's why he says some nine times, abide in, abide in, abide in. Abiding in Christ is a choice. Number two, abiding in Christ is intended to be permanent. This whole picture of a vine and branches, and you take that, that branch off, and I know there's uh, something in gardening that uh, uh, is called grafting, where you'll take that branch and put it onto another plant. But if you just take that branch off and leave it, it's not going to survive a very long time. And if you keep taking that branch off and then putting it back on and take it off and putting it back on, it's not going to be a healthy branch. Abiding in Christ is intended to be permanent. Number three, abiding in Christ means that Christ is in us. 
This picture of abiding in Christ, Jesus himself says that if you abide in me, then I am in you. Abiding in Christ means that Christ is in us. He is the nourisher and the giver of life. He is the one that we need. And if we abide in him, then he makes his home in us. Number four, abiding in Christ is absolutely necessary for fruit production. Sometimes we have this idea that we can do everything ourselves. Even the silly phrase we have, pick up yourself by your own bootstraps. Have you ever tried to do that? The only time I've successfully seen that done is on a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And I don't think it was even the good guy who picked himself up by his own bootstraps, Yosemite Sam. It's not possible for you to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. In order to produce the fruit of the Spirit, who would have to be a part of that? The Spirit. In order to produce the fruit that Christ would have us to produce, who must be a part of that? Christ. Abiding in Christ is necessary for proper fruit production. Number five, failing to abide in Christ results in death. Failing to abide in Christ results in death. Again, the picture of the plant. Number six, there is a very real connection between abiding in Christ, abiding in his love, him abiding in us, his words abiding in us, and his joy abiding in us. They are all connected. And you can't have just a couple of them. It's a package deal. Abiding in Christ, abiding in his love, him abiding in us, his words abiding in us, and his joy abiding in us. And number seven, God is glorified. I want you to think about this for just a moment very carefully. God is glorified when we abide in Christ and bear much fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when we are in Christ and bearing much fruit. It's all about location. Number two, it is also all about identity. Because in this passage in John chapter 15, you have uh, uh, this beautiful picture of a vine and branches and a vine dresser, uh, or your translation may say a gardener. Uh, or something similar, a husbandman, uh, some of the older translations would say. This picture of, uh, uh, that, that, is, that Jesus gives for us in John chapter 15, Jesus, he would say, I am the true vine. Jesus would say, I am the true vine. He is making a claim about identity. I am the true vine. Vine. 
It's not some vine that really is a false vine. By the way, the Old Testament on occasion speaks of Israel being a vine. But when you read through all the passages in the Old Testament of Israel being a vine, you find out that they have failed tremendously. But Jesus is the true vine. And he pictures... uh, uh, believers as branches, branches on a vine. And again, unless you're really into horticulture or gardening, um, uh, there's, you know, that just seems to be becoming, uh, be becoming less and less popular. But I know there are several folks in here who are really interested in those things and farming and the like. But it really is a a, a simple picture to get. And we all understand it by nature that if a branch falls off a tree, that branch isn't going to survive long. Believers, in order to be connected to Jesus, they have to be connected to the vine. They will not last long without him. And you have the Father who is the one tenderly taking care of the plant. You realize that plants left to their own devices start to become uh, just, uh, they, they, they start to just kind of grow all over the place and go kind of crazy. And uh, in fact, uh, you can tell a yard that is well manicured versus a yard that is well forgotten. But you have the identity of these three. And again, get the point. Life is available in the vine, the true vine alone. Without the source, the true vine, the branches can have no life. When you have the branch that breaks off the tree. Here's another question to just think about in this. Is it possible for a branch to produce, produce fruit on its own? You know what? If you really wanted to get uh, 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 some apples uh, in, your, uh, uh, in, in your yard, would you go to find an apple tree, break off a branch, and then just go plant that branch in the ground, and it's going to grow into a nice big apple tree? Not very likely. You might have one or two that are on there and they're going to fall off pretty soon. And, you know, over some years that might help produce a tree later, a long time from then. But you have this picture. A branch cannot produce fruit on its own because eventually it's going to die. And here's the reality is that all plants do die All plants do die. Some people have uh, a green thumb and they can make something last a good long while. Others not possessing that skill, it's amazed you have them water something and it dies just because they're near it, it seems. But every plant does eventually die, except for Christ, the true vine who is alive forevermore, Revelation 1, 18. Every other plant will eventually run out of nutrients. The true vine will never run out of those nutrients to give. And the father, as the gardener, 
He sure does take good care of us. Again, gardening does take work. In order to get a plant to actually thrive, a gardener must tend to it in a very specific way. Uh, You even will use the word, we still use the word pruning, the aspect of of so tending to the plant that it makes, uh, the gardener makes very specific cuts to ensure that proper growth happens. Even when you look at something like a rose bush, again, left to its own devices, a rose bush is going to choke itself to death after a while because it's just going to grow with a bunch of uh, um, fruitless, no, no flowers on a bunch of branches, and those are going to take up those sources that should be used for the flowers. You're going to have it grow in all sorts of directions. But when you go to a florist or when you go to the, you know, the cheap florist and HEB, even those look beautiful because they have been designed and trimmed and cared for. They've gotten manicures and pedicures if, you know, plants have toes. They have gotten taken care of in a very specific way to ensure proper growth. And it's not just this taking a hacksaw and cutting off as much as possible. And you may have seen that too when somebody, they are just tired of mowing their lawn and so they drop it down to the lowest setting so that they don't have to mow for a few weeks and sure enough a dry spell comes and the next thing you see them do is planting new grass. Or cutting the hedges way too far down. It takes care and consideration. And to make sure that it grows in the right way. So that we aren't haphazard. God takes care of us. To make sure that it doesn't grow with a bunch of useless branches that take away from proper nourishment from fruit-bearing branches, God makes sure we have all that we need in Christ. Jesus is the vine, the true vine. We're the branches and the Father tends to and takes care of us. As the branches, we must rely on the vine, Jesus, and the gardener, the Father, to tend to us. We have no life in ourselves. We have no way to properly take care of ourselves apart from God. We cannot have the fruits that God would have us to have if we are not connected to the vine. Just think about this. How thankful can we be that our lives are in the hands of our Father who prunes us Because even when cutting away those fruits, it's for the purpose of producing more fruits. And we can trust and know that what he is doing is what's best for us to be able to continue to abide in him and to continue to be productive. Even when it gets hard and difficult in life sometimes, you know, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith, there's a word, produces endurance. And in fact, if we're going through that and having a hard time, we're commanded to ask for wisdom from God who gives to all. It's about identity. It's about location. Being in, abiding in Christ. 
It's about who he is and who the Father is and trusting in him, but it's also about real expectations. Real expectations, and really the rest of the chapter is about love. It's about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the relationship that needs to be between the Son and the disciples, the believers. It needs to be, and it's about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the disciples and the love that is supposed to be reciprocal. And it's about the love that the believers are to have for one another. The love the Father has for the Son is the love that Jesus has for the disciples, verse 9. In verse 10, Jesus remains in God's love because he has kept God's commands. And remaining in God's love is what produces the joy of Christ in us. There is a direct connection between love and keeping God's word, his commands. But sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we assume that if we just simply are accepting and, uh, uh, to everyone around us that, that we are loving and says, you know what, God loves you. And, and, and that's all we do. And, and we have this assumption that that's loving. But acceptance does not always equate to love. If God just left us the way we were and said, you know what, you're all right, what does that mean about his justice? What does that say about death? It makes them meaningless. But on the other hand, you have some who assume that if you're simply following the rules that we're being loving, and often it's that kind of assumption that leads a lot of people to be evangelistic jerks. who love to tell others how wrong they are, but don't truly love the soul. But what Jesus indicates is that our love for God is shown in our love for other disciples, and it responds to God in our faithfulness. That's displayed again by Jesus' example. He says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he says we ought to love one another like he loves. In a very literal and real way, Jesus did that for us. He died for us. And doesn't the rest of the New Testament bear out the kind of sacrificial love we are to have for one another? And not forgetting the term sacrificial, it's talking about something that is dead. How about beginning with the fact that Romans 12 says that our bodies are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. How about trying to outdo one another in love and good works? How about that we are to consider others as more significant than ourselves, Colossians 2 as Jesus did. But the world, remember Jesus at this time has been awake a very long time. It's night, the night of his crucifixion. 
He's going to be staying up all through the night, and the next time he does sleep, it's the sleep of death. And there's concern for the disciples because of the way that Jesus is talking, and there's concern from Jesus because of all of the things that are about to take place and what's about to go on, and Jesus spends this time telling his disciples that they need to still abide in him, that they still need to love And that they need to trust in what's going to happen. But the world, the world is full of hate. And Jesus continues on with this picture. The world will hate uh, the branches that are connected to Jesus because it hates the vine. It hates Jesus. The world hates the one who gives life. And because the world hates the vine, the giver of life, our master, so too the world is going to hate us. And their hatred really extends not just to Jesus and not just to us, but it extends to the Father. Instead of living a life to God's glory, their lives are lived for self-fulfillment. They're the ones in their minds who are worthy of praise for how amazing they are. God is not better than them. He's just higher on the ladder for now at best. There are some people who reject Jesus for the simple fact that they do not want the Jesus that Scripture depicts. That in Him is life and we must be connected to Him. It's in Jesus that we have a sublime connection to God. He is our source of life. He is our source for being able to bear fruit and to grow. He is our connection to the Father. And the Father allows us to grow and how thankful we can be that it's not us that's in charge of the pruning, not knowing knowing what tomorrow holds but knowing that the one who knows all things is in charge of that knife. Therefore, love. That's what Jesus' point is in this section. In loving God, we will show him our love by our faith. In loving others, we will show them by our sacrifice. And abiding in Christ is really what it is all about. What a tremendous blessing to be able to glorify him in bearing fruit and to simply acknowledge and realize that in what we do and how we live, as long as it's for God, he'll take care of it. He'll make the fruit produce. And he'll prune it so that we can have more, producing more fruit. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We serve a tremendous God one who is worthy of all glory and all praise. How wonderful it is to be able to be connected to the vine, his son. 
Because in that, we never will die. That's Jesus' promise that we can have life and have life abundantly because that is what the vine Jesus gives us. And he shows that to us in himself dying and rising again, conquering death, never to more die again. And his promise simply starts with the fact of his grace that he has given himself. And that grace is offered to all people. And it's up to us to either accept or reject. For those who are branches on the vine, maybe that fruit hasn't been as it should. And maybe some pruning is in order. Let God do the pruning. But you have to humble yourselves under his hand. We want to pray for you and we want to help you. For those who are not, the beauty is that Jesus has more than enough to give you a place on that vine. How will you respond? Through faith, repentance, and baptism, you can become grafted in. And he'll take care of you and the Father will nourish you and tend to you. And together we can glorify him and eventually be home with him. If we can't help you, come as we stand and sing this invitation song.